Hey, millennials. So, I did one of the most heart-wrenching things the other day. I recorded this entire podcast on mute, essentially. I bought this. I bought this field recorder because it's top-notch microphone. I, I love the way it sounds. It sounds great. <clears throat> it's easy to use, but that's contingent on whether or not you're going to use it properly. And clearly, I wasn't on that vibe the other day when I decided to do this podcast. So I'm going to try to wrap it up the same way. It's not probably going to be the exact same thing, obviously, but that's fine. Um, today, we're talking about why it seems impossible or very difficult to evangelize to people in America in 2023 and the last couple of years. Now, with that, it kind of it kind of assumes that you've been looking for opportunities that you've been wanting to evangelize to people, and you can easily get caught up in a cycle of just being busy and doing things and you know having an agenda to the point that you forget that yeah, we're supposed to talk to people about Jesus, we're supposed to talk to people about Christ. And it's much easier to talk into a microphone or or a tablet or on social media than it is to talk to people face-to-face. I think it's much more effective to talk to people face-to-face uh, for, for a variety of reasons that I'll get into. But I saw a meme. Not a meme. I gotta stop calling everything a meme. I saw a video. It was a skit about a guy going to heaven and seeing Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist, and then he runs into Paul, and Paul is like, oh man, when did you die? And the guy's like, I, I'm, I'm from 2023, and he says, oh, you guys have those smartphones, right? And the guy's like, yeah. He goes, so how many people got saved? And then the guy's like, what? And Paul says, well, you guys use the internet, and you have all these smartphones and these devices, you can reach everybody all over the world preaching the gospel, how many people got saved? And he says at the end of the skit, disappointingly, oh, we only use our phones to look up cat videos. Boom, ching. It's a joke. I get it. It's f- kind. Of, it's moderately funny. I don't like those jokes um, because they one they tend to normalize incompetency, incompetence, and that's that's a sad commentary. I don't. I don't like skits that normalize incompetence and sinful behavior and foolishness as the norm. You know, like, that's how we all are. That's just how it is, you know. That's that's generally why I don't like John Christ videos. Because his videos just assume that you're this, like, silly, in-the-feels, you know, modern evangelical, like, but, like, big Eva-type person who doesn't actually read scripture and who misinterprets everything and who has base sinful desires. Like every John Chris skit I've ever seen is based in that reality. Or presupposition, I should say. But this isn't about John Chris. It's setting the stage though. You ever talk to people at work? Or have you ever been at work and have people say, have someone straight up ask you, why are you a Christian? Or they say, why are you religious? You know, that's the question I get. 
And I've had this happen more than once. And so, you're left with a choice. Like, what do I say? Do I recite the Romans Road from Catechism? Do I use the Living Waters Ray Comfort method to, you know, walk them through the Ten Commandments and show them that they're sinful people and that they need Christ that way? Do I use brilliant commentary from, you know, G.K. Chesterton and... Justin Martyr, or I don't know who, Stephen Wolf. I don't know who's new right now. <laughs> Do I use their methods of apologetics to, to win this person over? I honestly don't think that's what people are looking for. Like, that's why they asked you. I think somewhere along the way, you told them or they heard that you're a Christian. And so for a while they've been monitoring your behavior and they see something that maybe piques their interest or doesn't necessarily compute because to them it's it's hard to understand why anybody would believe in the like the bible's version of spirituality like it's already hard enough for people to to believe in spirituality or in the supernatural, but it's even harder for them to believe in it as a reality. So for most people in America right now, I was I was reading some studies, and I don't have them pulled up here, but one was from Rasmussen, I believe. Was it Rasmussen? No. It was... Jeez, why did I say Rasmussen? It was... um. Crap, it was like the two... Pew Research and the other one, the really big one that just pews that researches and does stuff like uh, polls people all the time. I can't remember the other poll, but it was Pew Research and it was another poll. And they showed uh, a gap from 2017, I believe, over a span of 2017 to 2022, that atheism in the United States, based on polls from those from those time frames, is at about 20% and on the rise. Which means... Not only do people find it difficult to believe in the supernatural, it means that people don't believe in anything. Now, for me, I think it requires much more faith to believe, to to not believe in anything, to be an atheist, to be a committed atheist. I think it takes way more faith to do that than to be a Christian. But that's just like a, a quippy line that we like to throw around in Christian circles, right? Because it's on the rise. There was this website that was talking about tell your your atheism story. And there, there was a deconstruction movement from a while back, which it's not new. It's 100 years old. It's, you know, this is why we disdain French philosophers. And so we have all these, like, ideas that are reemerging from times past to pull people away from the faith. Uh, but they never actually build on anything. They're not giving people anything to believe in. The closest thing we have right now is like the woke religion. And so it's difficult to minister to people because of a few things that we've seen in our lifetime, in our culture over the last, let's say, 50 years. And I'll talk about some of those things. But I just want to set the stage of where we are right now. Um, It seems like it's difficult to minister to people. It seems like it's difficult to talk to people about Jesus and spirituality. 
really it's not. I don't have trouble finding ways to talk to people about God, about the Bible, about Scripture. And I want to pass that information on to you because it shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be this like, you know, um, you shouldn't have like an anxiety attack or something when you think about talking to people about Jesus. I think at like first you need to relearn and rethink the approach that you take. Um, There's a lot of career evangelicals out there that they go out and they hold signs and they preach on the street corner and they're being obedient to God as they interpret scripture or they are convinced that this is how they're supposed to do it. And so I won't say that they're wrong. I won't say that they shouldn't do that. I think that they offer a much needed version of what evangelism is supposed to look like. And we see that and and maybe we recoil and we're upset by that or we draw back and a lot of people do. But there are people who just need a harder version of the truth. You know, there are more people that are going to react to Bryson Gray than Lecrae version of sharing the gospel. And so I want to give you some tools. I want to go through some reasons why it seems to be so difficult to evangelize in America right now. And then I want to give you some tools and some ideas and methods or whatever of what I'm seeing. So we'll talk about why we'll give kind of a cultural breakdown and then I'll give you some solutions as to what I feel best suits this this problem. All right, so let's get started. I had to take a short break here. All right, let's get started. First, let's talk about some things that I shouldn't talk about uh, because it's not my job to give you the the platitudinous seminary CEO style answer full of nice words framed a certain way. That's not my job. That's that that's a part of the problem. Part of the problem, number one, and maybe I should take some notes while I do this. But the first reason is orators, um, other ministers, other evangelists, we're looking at them. We're looking at how they do it. So let's say professional, I don't know, man, um, pastors. Can we say pastors? We'll just say pastors because it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. Other pastors is one of the reasons why it's so hard. Now, this is um, assuming that you're a Christian and that you're not... Like, I can't... This doesn't work if you're the type of Christian who thinks that getting someone to come to church with you is a form of evangelism. That's not. Like, just that's just inviting somebody to the church, and there's a whole different discussion behind that that I should probably have on this podcast. So I'm not going to address that. But the way that people talk, um, the, the words they use, the way that they, that they phrase things, it sounds like it's a rehearsed politician, you know? It sounds like very well polished and that they were trained. And a lot of times it's because they are. They're trained 
to grow a church to a certain size a lot of times, a lot of these pastors don't stick around after the church has been planted and grown. Their job is to appeal to as many people as possible. And um, that style of evangelism is referred to as church growth. So yeah, there we go. That's what we'll call number one church growth. The church growth methods have been a plague in, I think, evangelism and to the local church in general. Because what it does is it kind of corporatizes what's supposed to be a homegrown grassroots thing. Your local church is supposed to be a local group of believers that rely on each other. And you can't do that without having decent relationships with each other. This is your whole love your neighbor thing. You can't love your neighbor if you don't know who your neighbors are. Uh, your community, you... Man, the sun's coming up and it's beautiful. It's just starting to slowly get bright out. Okay, you can't you can't do that. And And the church growth method gets into pastors' minds and tells them, your church isn't growing because you're not saying it the right way. You're not preaching it the right way. And and it also reinforces the idea that it's the pastor's job to grow the church. It's the pastor's job to evangelize. And that's not that's the false notion. It's the fa- the pastor's job is to tend to the flock. But that's not just his job. You know, that's the job of an elder. Elders are supposed to tend to the flock. This is something that we're talking about in my church. Um, I think we've allowed too many fancy pastors to come out and phrase things a certain way. And it, maybe it's because this like celebrity pastors is another thing. So instead of, I'll, I'll make this an aside from church growth. I'm going to say celebrity pastors. Because these are the people that they have very large churches, they have books to sell, they have a, a shill, a grift, you know, and it's not just the gospel. Like they're out there shilling their book or their book tour or their conferences or all these other things. And these are good things. They can be good things, but they're not the main thing. And when you have most of what you're doing is centered around a brand then you're getting into marketing. And not all marketing is bad, but most of the public evil in the world seems to be rooted in some form of marketing. And I don't like to see that in the church. So those those two things take take evangelism responsibility out of people's hands. They never really learn what they're supposed to be doing or saying. Um, another problem I'm going to call zealots. And zealots kind of poison the well for all of us. We all want to be zealous for Christ, but zealots don't use wisdom. Zealot, a good example of of a zealot is, is Paul in the beginning of Acts when he first got saved, picking fights with everybody. And they had to send him away to, what was it? I don't know if it was Macedonia. They had to send him away to be discipled. Because he was just a loose cannon because he was so zealous and he was starting fights. Um, This is what we refer to as the cage stage in reform circles, in Calvinist circles. 
Um, but it's not just, you know, box to that. Like, I'll be trying to talk to somebody and I'll get some zealot will pop up in the chat and it's, you know, it's his version of theology or the highway. This is why I don't like reformers online. I don't like knowing that somebody's a Calvinist online because it's all about winning the argument for these people. And they have kind of ruined evangelism because they tend to have that that market cornered. The the, the zealots are the ones that are going to be out with the megaphone shouting at people. And there is a version of street preaching that is effective and that works. But this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guys that are just out there to win the argument. They're just in the forum. They're online. They put a bad taste of Christians in people's mouths. And people say, if this is what a Christian is, I don't want to be that. And we already have, you know, a harder climb without zealots kind of, just like I said, poisoning the well for everybody. So another reason is... We'll say hypocrites and lukewarm Christians. So, the reason I'm bringing all of these archetypes into the conversation is because these are some of the stuff. These are some of the things that people like to bring up when they when they talk about their lack of faith. I had a guy talk to me. He said, "I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites." Now, if I wanted to win the argument with some you know, platitude or with some um, fancy quip, I could say, well, that means that the hypocrite is closer to God than you are because at least he's going to church. That's not a solution. That's not helpful. That's just being an agitator. And, but anyways, um, that we already talked about those people. Hypocrites and lukewarm Christians. So a lot of these people, unfortunately, are your parents and the parents of people who don't want anything to do with religion. Because maybe their parents were zealots who didn't think things through and used wi- and didn't use wisdom. Maybe they were the kind of people who are very hard about a small collection of a specific kind of sin, you know? So, like, they really, really don't like kids dating as teenagers or something. And, and so they'll just harp on that. Or they really don't like cigarettes. Or, you know, some people that they're Christians in the church, but then in their home life, they're not. They curse. They watch unwholesome content on television. They read smutty books. They gossip. They slander. They lie, cheat, and steal just like everybody else. And you say, well, if this is a Christian, what makes this person any better? Because I know for a fact that... This person's no good. Um, You know, it hurts when you see your parents cheating or lying on, let's say, on their taxes or on an insurance form in order to get more money. When you know that they're not telling the truth and you know for a fact that they're only doing it to get more money. Like that hurts you when you realize that because you you look at your parents and you say, well, these people are supposed to be paragons of of the truth. They're supposed to be a bastion of goodness and the, and the example for how you're supposed to live. And then you see your parents doing these terrible things and you're like, wow, you're a hypocrite. 
I, I never knew that you were just a hypocrite. Like you say that you believe God, you say that you believe these good things, but you really, you're just in it for you. And maybe it's not just your Christians. You know, I've had the similar situation with mentors uh, when I was on the road as a musician. And several times I've met people that were like not interested in hearing or teaching me how to how to preach the gospel more effectively. But they were more interested in getting me to manipulate people to feel a certain way. And I'm like, wow, that's not what I signed up for. Um. I'm not about emotional manipulation. I'm, that's that to me. That's like lying. That's dishonest. I will always want to be honest with people, and that that's hard, man. Uh, lukewarm Christians, on the other hand, are people that you know they know the truth, but they never seem to want to go the extra mile or when it comes to standing up for the truth or doing the right thing in the moment when it matters. You know, they seem to like they want to be in in church and they'll sing the songs and stuff. But like when it comes to real, real things that, that cost you something, they're like, man, you ain't got to do all that to be a Christian. You know, they don't want to fast. They don't want to pray an extra prayer meeting or something. Hey, guys, come together. I need I really need some prayer. Would you come? pray? They don't want to do all that. That's a lot. That's like work. They're not going to stand up for what they believe in when they have the voice to make a difference in a real situation like at work. Uh, when some policy comes through and they say, hey, this isn't right. You can't treat people like this because they're Christians or because they don't agree with this lifestyle. You can't you can't single them out like that. They're not going to speak up because it might hurt them. They're not going to do the extra mile. They're not going to come visit you on a weekday. They're not going to see you when you're sick. They're not going to loan you money to get your car fixed or anything like that. Like, it's not, it's, it's, it's not easily predictable how you deal with stuff. Because sometimes people just have situations they can't deal with you right now. But then it's like a lifestyle and you're like, I want to be around Christians that will survive persecution. I want to be around Christians that are joyful in hard times. I don't want to be around Christians that are just like everybody else because that's not, that's not, I want to be around Christians that reflect the fruit of the spirit, you know, not, not Christians that are the subject of a John Christ video. And so when the, all the people around you have these examples of Christians and this is all they've seen is moral failure and hypocrisy and lukewarm uh, apathy is really what it is. Apathy. Then they're like, I don't want to be this. Now, for this list, this isn't comprehensive, but I think those are the biggest things holding most people back from listening or, or believing in the gospel as a firsthand experience. Um, there very well might be people that are just ignorant. And a lot of times when I'm in evangelistic situations, you know, like there's, there's a Christian magician that I, that I heard. He was, he called himself an illusionist, not a magician. It's very important that you say it that way. And he would say, I grew up in a house never hearing the name of Jesus. I didn't even know who Jesus was. 
And like, okay, dude, I really don't believe it. I don't believe it. You can't grow up in Western society and not know who Jesus is. And I'm going to get to that aspect of this conversation in a minute here. But I think he's just saying it to impress his you know, friends and to get them both. Oh, we really got to get preaching. It's like lies aren't, aren't apt motivators. Um, I realize I just accused the guy of lying, but yeah, maybe there are people out there who are just ignorant and they don't know. They genuinely don't know. Um, I knew a girl who grew up in a very successful, um, upper class family. They had their own business. They were doing very well. She just, just religion was never a part of her life. She never went to church. Her parents never went to church. They were nose deep in their business her entire life, and that's all she's ever known. Um, and I guess that, you know, she maybe went to college abroad or something. I don't know what life is like in California. Like, I live in the Bible Belt. I grew up in the Midwest. And I'm very aware. I'm hyper, hyper aware, especially being black. Hyper aware that... Our country is built on Christian principles. This is a Christian nation. The entire the entirety of Western civilization hinges on cr- biblical Christianity. So when people try to act like that's not the case, I know that they're lying. Um, it's not even an argument. They're just lying. And so let's, you know, let's leave that little possibility open that people might be ignorant. And so let's go back to the moment that they're asking you what, why you're religious. You know, in the Bible, it was, what must I do to be a Christian? No one will ever ask you that. Like, that's, that's not a question that people ask. But they might say, why are you religious? Because they're, they're considering it. They want to know. And I told you, like, you could go the route of being the big, the best argumentative person, the most apologetic genius or whatever, but the way I understand it is that the Bible says when the saints fall because of the dragon in Revelation, the dragon swings his tail and he knocks two-thirds of the stars from the sky, um... The the saints, I should pull that up because I, I might be conflating two different passages. And I want to make sure that I bring it up, um, the right thing. So let me pause and find that specific passage. Okay, so it yeah, I'm I'm quoting the right passage. But in Revelation 12, 11, without, just disregard the other stuff I said. It's, it's talking about the saints. It says, and they overcame him, meaning the, the beast or the dragon. They overcame him. Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. And so this is a heavy passage here because a lot of people miss it. They think it's just, it's about the future. I'm not getting into that today. But what's contained in this passage? Revelation 12. It's poetic. It's meant to be poetic, and there's a lot here. So let me let me read, pull up just Revelation 12. And it says, 
We're going to go up to verse 10. I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven say, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters have been thrown down. Has been thrown down. Talking about Satan. The one who accuses them before God day and night. That was, that was Satan's place. He was the accuser. That was his job. That was the reason he was created. And they overcame him, the accuser, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So this definitely rules out your hypocritical and lukewarm Christians. These are the type of people who would not change the testimony of what they saw when they were walking with Christ when they saw Christ rise from the dead, and even us uh, saints now and saints of the past who didn't walk directly with Jesus, when they saw the works that God did in their life, when they saw the miracles, when they experienced God, God when they experienced Christ, when they had these things happen to them, they're not going to change their story because it's inconvenient for you. And so for a lot of these authorities they would put these people to death because they didn't want to accept the reality of what these people were saying about Christ return resurrecting from the dead but it was the blood of the lamb that covered them their sins they knew they had a, a home outside of this world they knew where they were going to go when they died and they didn't love their life so much that they were going to lie and change their testimony they overcame with the word of their testimony for this reason, oh, yeah, for this reason, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath, knowing that his that he has only a short time. And so this is a wonderful place to start. I, sh I'm, I'm, I didn't plan it this way, but I'm glad, I, I'm glad we're here. So Satan has been thrown out of heaven. <clears throat> and what's... The, the theology here is that at the, or at, the, at the cross, Jesus was crucified. And during that three days, he took the keys of sin and he took the, key, the power from sin and death. He took the keys of death. And that's why he holds the keys of life and death. You know, you don't, you, you don't die and stay dead when you're a Christian, when you believe in Christ. But he also, and this doesn't get talked about enough. He also threw Satan out of heaven. Satan's role in heaven was to play the accuser. He was to look at you and find fault. And Jesus is an advocate for mankind. So Satan finds fault with you, but Jesus excuses that fault and covers your sin with his blood. That's why you hear people say weird things like when Jesus, when God looks at me, all he sees is the blood of Christ. It's it's weird to if you don't understand what's being done there. So Jesus not only took the power of death, but he also threw the accuser out of heaven. He's no longer a part of the court of heaven. And some of you might be saying, well, Satan was never a part of the court of heaven. Well, that's that's debatable. Um, if you listen to the book of Job. Go back and read Job. Satan's there. He's walking back and forth across the earth. But when he's talking to God, he's there in heaven. 
because he's playing his role, the the part of the accuser. He's playing the part that he was create. That's that was his job to be the accuser. Um, other parts of scripture where you hear God talking to the other spirits in heaven, these unclean spirits, they say, "I'll go be a." Uh, a lying spirit in the mouths of your prophets. You know, these are evil demonic spirits that are playing their role, but they've been kicked out. Satan has thrown out of heaven, thrown down to earth. His demonic forces are thrown out of heaven. And now they rage and rampage down here on earth, knowing that his time is short. So, this is a good lead into why things are so difficult. <coughs> we talked about reasons why people might not believe you. Now let's talk about reasons that that make it even harder. The un the unbelief and its consequences. So in Romans 1:18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Let's stop right there. So 18 and 19 is saying that the wrath of God is on these people who suppress the truth. These, these people are like Satan, are like the accusers. They don't want the truth out there. When I said that, those, those Christians, they overcame by the blood of their testimony. They were put to death by authorities. These are the kinds of people that I'm talking about. They don't want to hear that Christ rose from the dead. They don't want to hear that Christ has the power of life and death. They don't want to hear that, that Satan has been thrown out of heaven and does not have that power anymore. And so they know that it's true because God made it evident to them. God has ways of speaking to everyone. He has ways of reaching everyone. And when God has reached out to you and made himself known to you and you've seen with your own eyes and you've experienced God, but then you want to suppress someone else's te testimony because you don't want your experience with God to be true as well. You say, this can't be true. I don't want to believe that. And then somebody else comes along and confirms it. And you say, no, I want it to be my way. Ah. These are the kinds of people that we're talking about. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by those, but being understood by what has been made, all of nature and creation, so that they are without excuse. God's power is being made evident to people all the time, all over the world. And that's why you have people that say, surely there must be a God. There must be some higher power is what they call it. There must be some higher power. The reason they don't say there must be a God is because there are, are people from verses 18 and 19 who have since way before the, they've been born. These people have been told their entire lives. It cannot be the God of the Bible. It cannot be Jesus. That's not true. It has to be something else. It has to be aliens. It has to be crystals. It has to be bundles of sage. It can't be Jesus, though. And before you even find a solution for, an, for a problem you didn't even know you had, you're, been t you're being told it's not Jesus, that God is not the answer. Jesus is not the answer. That's what they're being told from the day you're born. And God spends the rest of your life and others proving himself to them 
through, through his creation, through the universe, through his mighty works. For even, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, but became futile in their reasonings, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, of four-footed animals, and of crawling creatures. Now, in 23, it frames it as idols, because people of that time were very religious. I don't know if they had anything like atheism back in biblical days. This is something of a new phenomenon in the last hundred years. But we, we have people that still follow the image of man. So the form of corruptible, corruptible mankind, that still applies here. We think that we are God. We think that our science and our creations and things like that will disprove God. Uh, that Looney Tunes bonkers guy over in the World Economic Forum who hates God talks about God only created giraffes, but we'll be able to create blah, blah, blah. You know, we're not talking about the clouds in the sky. We have our own clouds. And like he's, they're just worshiping their, themselves and their own creation, mankind. He knows who God is that otherwise he wouldn't need to bring it into part of his conversation and he wouldn't need to juxtapose himself to God if he didn't know who God is. And because people like this know who God is, verse 24, therefore God gave them to vile impurity in their lusts and in their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Diseases, the types of diseases that only come from certain types of behaviors. For they exchange the truth of God for falsehood they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen and then it goes on to talk about the long list of sexual sin and depravity but then it also talks about that men are filled with unrighteousness wicked greed evil envy murder strife deceit malice they are gossips slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, feeling and unfeeling and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, to those who practice such things are worthy of death, which means they, they not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. So these are people that will not only, they're evil, this long list of ideas and behaviors and, and orientations for people, but they know that when they behave that way, they are worthy of death. And so what do they say? They just, they wave and they say, I'll see you in hell, buddy. It's, it's obvious to, the, to anyone who's looking that God is real, even if you just look at the opposition to God. Even if all you have to look at is evil, you, you got Lil Nas X giving a lap dance to the devil. You got Doja Cat being a demon, a literal demon crawling on the walls and stuff. You got Billie Eilish in her video where she's possessed by demons or in her other video where she's Lucifer falling from the heavens. Like, why have this imagery? Why go for this biblical, biblically inspired 
demonic from Christian ideas and lore and and you know what I'm saying? Like why go with that imagery? Why have horned demons? Why have Satan? Why have Lucifer? Why have bat wings and horns and fork tails and hooves and snake tongues and vertical eyes? There are other ways to be creepy. You know? It doesn't, all evil doesn't have to look like, as a matter of fact, most evil doesn't look like that. This comic book cartoon version of the devil, this 1970s horror flick version of the devil, is intentionally antithetical to Christianity. That's the point of the imagery. And to use that imagery to say, I, this to say I'm a Satanist, ah, the, 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 the devil and demons. And, like, why? Why would you go that route if you don't believe in God? Why would you say you're the enemy of God, the, the archetypal enemy of God? The cartoonish, most famous version of an enemy of God just to be evil, just to be the bad guy, the bad boy, the bad girl, whatever. Like, if that's your thing, if you're a rebel, why would you conform to the most known version of evil? Why not just, like, go your own route and do your own thing? I mean, the Bible says they're inventors of evil because they're not original and they're not trying to be creative. They actually know who God is and they hate him and they want to bring other people down into the same pit of sin and misery that they're in. And this isn't everyone out there in the world. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed. I don't believe in, um, you know, that you're born that way, that you're born in depravity. I, what I'm saying is that there are people who have an opportunity to turn to Christ. And God hasn't dropped the hammer on them yet. God hasn't judged you yet. When you see people like this, when you see people like Billie Eilish and Doja Cat and Lil Nas X and all these people that go on TV and portray to be demons and they want to be the bad guy and stuff, that's them being judged by God. There might actually be hope for them still if they will repent and turn away from that sin. But as long as they're living in that sin, as long as they're actively rejecting God, they're going to live that way, they're going to behave this way, and they're going to keep getting worse. Their mental state is going to keep getting worse. And that's obviously a judgment from God, according to this scripture. And I got another one to pull up, but we're sticking with this one for now. The judgment... Is their mindset, is their, is their orientation, and their behavior is a reflection of that. And so, there's no excuse for people who know that are evil. Now you, now, you have people who are starting to wake up to this stuff. They're starting to see some things. Maybe they saw the Doja Cat video, and they're like, I don't know, maybe I should go to church. Like, that was in the comments a lot, like... Thanks, Doja Cat, for reminding me to go to church, which, an aside, is clearly marketing, you know. It, it, the, the comments on the Doja Cat video, there's like five versions of the same comment over and over again. It's bots, dude. It's bots and it's NPC stupid people saying, like, if I say this, I'll be popular too. But they're just saying, like, the same five things over and over again. Half of it is like... Doja Cat's reminding me why I should read my Bible and pray and go to church. And the other half is like, 
oh, this is super empowering. And like insider market speak from people who actually believe in that version of corporatism. You know how like you have this insider language in the company and people talk like this really weird toxic way that nobody else talks in the real world. Like you just go to LinkedIn and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's what the comment section on Doja Cat video is. Um, but going back to my point here, let's go to Second Thessalonians, and I believe it's verse 8. Yeah, I'm going to start at verse 8. It says, then that lawless one will be revealed. It's talking, I'm not, I'm not getting into what it's talking about here, because um, that's not what I want. Do, 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 do. Mm, it's just one long run-on sentence, though, so i got to start at 8. It says, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring, an end to, and bring to an end by appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and all power and false signs and wonders. And with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not accept the truth, they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. So this is talking about when Jesus comes back to punish those who follow Satan, who follow the ways of this world. But until then, until that happens, this that's why it's going to happen and so and so for this reason god will send upon them a deluding influence and in other translations it says a strong delusion so that they will believe a lie so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth and who took pleasure in wickedness so remember romans 1 18 all of those people who are being judged by just folding into themselves in this demonic activity and this satanic activity and this lifestyle, that's the judgment. And what it's saying, it confirms here that God is sending a strong delusion because I said at the beginning of the pocket, God is in control of all that stuff. A strong delusion that they'll believe a lie. Now, who believes a lie? It's those people who know who God is, they see him as evident, and then they reject the truth. They reject God once they understand who he is. Once they see a Christian like you and they say, huh, why are you religious? I thought you were cool. And, they, and everyone is telling me that it's not cool to be a Christian, but you don't seem bad. So what's your story? So this is where, this is the solution I offered and I promised you earlier. This is the part where you don't turn into this argumentative jackal. This isn't your opportunity to crush someone. It's not an easy opponent. That's not what you're looking at this. This is your opportunity to overcome the world with the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. I said it's not hard to to evangelize to people because you tell them what God has done for you. You tell them what God is doing for you. You tell them what God has shown you in your life, what he's showing you now. It's your testimony. 
Now, your testimony, you may see some things and it'd be because you read this scripture. You know, I say, man, I was just I've been reading this scripture in Romans one and I just really been mulling it over. And as I've been praying about God to open my eyes to it, he really started showing me more examples. And it was like, wow, God really does show people things. That's it. That's evangelism. That's not the full gospel that's going to satisfy the most aggressive reformer. But if someone's saying, why are you religious? You say, well, because for, it's like for me, I tell people like, because when I read about God in the Bible, it was always a supernatural thing. And people would give me these really plain, boring excuses and answers for things. And so I felt like they weren't telling me the truth or they were keeping me from the truth. And then I read in the Bible that God says you have to have a childlike faith. So I said, God, I believe that you're real and I want to know more, but I don't understand why people can't explain things to me. Would you please show me? Would you please help me understand? And God just start showing me things. I mean, it's simple. It, it's a childlike explanation because it's it's. That's what it is. It's not meant to be this complicated thing. Like these people that are out there grifting and screaming in microphones. You don't need all that. All you need is to be able to tell another person what God is doing for you. And they can translate that into their own life. You don't have to solve their problems for them. That's the other thing you got to keep in mind. You don't have to solve their problems for them. You just have to tell them what God is doing for you because it's probably not your job to fix their solution or to find a solution for their issue. Maybe maybe that's either part of the judgment or, you know, like God tends to put things in your life that will drive you toward him. But if they keep rejecting God, rejecting God, rejecting God, and, and he's coming after them, he's drawing them to himself with with questions, with putting people like you in their life with you're giving them, you know, you're telling them what God's done for you. So there's an explanation and there's like, oh, I found it in this scripture in the Bible. And here's, yeah, God, man. And I was, and people say, well, what about these Christians? I say, yeah, there's a lot of Christians out there who aren't very good. But I mean, that's, that's everywhere you go, you know, like you ask, you ask your friend, like, do they know a good mechanic? Because everybody's experienced a bad mechanic. That doesn't mean you don't go get your car fixed. It means you find a good mechanic, right? It's the same thing with Christians. Like, yeah, there's a lot of bad Christians out there, but that doesn't mean that you don't go to God. You just, you know, disregard the bad versions, disregard the bad Christians and understand that, like, they they probably need help just like you do. There's a lot of things that you can say to people, um, but it has to be personal, it has to be real. And if you're not growing, then you're really going to have a hard time. Um, one last thing I'll leave with you because this is something that we're all growing in, is all of this is made much easier when you have a Christian worldview. And this is something that I guess I have to talk about in a different episode. Having a Christian worldview means understanding the way, the world the and reality, the way God intended. Um, it's a good, the best example, and the example I usually tell people is like, creation versus evolution is indicative of two different worldviews one evolution says that all life came from a single cell i mean this has some other extraordinary claims but the main the main contention i'm having here 
or that I'm going to focus on is all life coming from a single cell. And from those cells came other types of cells, eventually came creatures. And then from these creatures came many different other creatures to where you will have dinosaurs or lizards and fish becoming birds and mammals. Well, in the Bible, it says that God created everything of its kind. And so the, the what makes the Bible creation version special is it's not a tree that comes from all, everything comes from one cell. It's God made dogs, God made cats, God made birds. And one of the things that gets evolutionists hooked up, hung up, is that they'll say, well, we had these finches on this island, and over time they evolved and turned into a different speak kind of finch. It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. They're still birds. They're still finches. They're not going to evolve in the frogs because that's not how it works. God made dogs. God made cats. God made birds. God made frogs. Everything of its kind. And you're going to see all the way to the marsupial level, the kinds never change into other kinds. They, they can interbreed. They can crossbreed. They can microevolve or mutate. But they're never going, a dog is never going to become a cat. The cat is never going to become a rodent because that's not its kind. That's not what it is. So we have a lot of great things, you know, in science, biology, as far as like the animal kingdom and the classification systems. But you can have all that information and still be wrong because it's rooted in Darwinian evolution versus creation, having a biblical worldview or Christian worldview. And so when you're trying to interpret things scripturally, you you have to follow the the lines, trace back to where you start to have those hang-ups and see if maybe those things are coming from a lack of a Christian worldview. And that will definitely help your testimony as well. Anyways, I'm reaching like an hour, I'm sure. I'm glad I was able to get all this out because I felt very bad. Uh, this This podcast is part of my collection of work over on zeroforhire.substack.com and on Substack I have another podcast called the Zero for Hire podcast this is the Millennial Reign um, I have music and art and videos things that I am working on and creating that I share with my subscribers so I would really like if you would become a subscriber over on Substack because that not only means that you get this podcast but you also get the Zero for Hire podcast which is a bit controversial sometimes, so I have to keep it behind a paywall. Um, but also my, like my album that I worked on before I before I moved, there was there's a lot that worked against me from getting my album put out. Now it's been sitting on it for two years, and it's going on my Substack. So my subscribers get my album. Now eventually we'll get it out there onto iTunes and all these other places. Uh, there's some some hoops I got to jump through to do that stuff, but like, but my my subscribers they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about like I have a friend who has an album that just came out and I can't find a, a way to download it because it's all streaming platforms. My subscribers don't have to worry about that. You get you go to Substack, you're a, you're a paid subscriber, you get access to that album and you can download it to your phone as many times as you want. And you can listen to it as much as you want. It's your. It's that's that's part of why you become a subscriber. Um, videos, things that I'm working on behind the scenes for the comic book I'm working on, 
that's also on my Substack page. So, lots going on over there. It's zeroforhire.substack.com, and I will see you guys in a few weeks as I put together another podcast. So, thanks for hanging out with me and listening. Okay, gotta go. Bye.